Hey everyone, this is Mark. I'm doing this casual intro, uh, unscripted, because uh, I wanted to introduce this episode and explain where it came from, or the idea for it. It came to my attention recently that the first three episodes of Forever Star Wars are not available on all streaming platforms, and we did a little bit of investigating and found that, uh, I think it's on iTunes and maybe elsewhere too, uh, some of those first episodes did not get uploaded because of a limit on how many episodes you can upload. Episodes one through three are not showing up for some people. So uh, it actually kind of sparked an idea that I've had for a while in that I kind of wanted to go back and re-record the first three episodes anyway. Um, the reason being because those first three episodes were at a time when I was just learning how to do this. And so compared to some of the later episodes where I had, I had figured it out, those early episodes are really rough sounding to me now. So it occurred to me it might be fun to go back and re-record them and uh, just sort of have better mixing and better stereo and better voiceover, but mostly keep the core of what the episode was about in place. And so that's what I've done. Um, I've done the first episode, and that is the one that you're about to hear right now. And uh, episodes two and three are uh, in the works. And so I will be releasing those at a later time. So a way that you can think of this is it's, it's my own version of the special editions. <laughs> and just like Lucas, I've gone in and I've tweaked some things and changed some things. And I definitely understand the creative impulse to go back and, and redo, get a redo on something that you've done. So anyway, um, without further ado, uh, here is the re-edited, remastered, special edition of Forever Star Wars Episode 1. I hope you enjoy. After 40 years, why does Star Wars remain as popular as ever? Well, it's many things. Pure escapism, or tradition passed down from one generation to the next. It has noble Jedi Knights clashing with dark forces of evil. It's a piece of junk, but it's got it where it counts. Star Wars can do .5 past light speed. It's a collision of Saturday morning matinees with ancient mythology. It has the romanticism of old Hollywood with the bright shiny chrome of modern day special effects. In contrast to the uncertainty and weight of the world's everyday grind, Star Wars is a safe retreat. A warm blanket of Ewoks, Porgs, and big walking carpets we call Wookiees. This is a podcast to celebrate that love for a galaxy far, far away. A galaxy as big as our imagination, but which also feels as close as a member of the family. This is Forever Star Wars. Hello there. Welcome to Episode 1 of Forever Star Wars, a new Clashing Sabers podcast series. I'm Mark Marquis, a contributor for ClashingSabers.net and your host for this in-depth look at what makes the films and animated series of Star Wars so special. Thank you for coming along. I hope this series will be a positive and rewarding experience for you. My goal is to celebrate Star Wars in a way that affirms our love for it. 
Because at the end of the day, Star Wars should be fun. Well, if you spend any time on the internet, you might have difficulty believing that. Fandoms are communities made up of passionate individuals. It can be a sea of voices, all competing to see who can shout the loudest. Not every voice is positive, and not every thought is constructive as it should be. I can only speak for myself, but sometimes I get overwhelmed by the negative cycles of social media. It can be a challenge to remain hopeful and optimistic when certain fans seem determined to crash the party for everyone else. Some of those people love Star Wars just as much as any of us, and often claim they simply want to see Star Wars treated right, and I can certainly understand that. But that's why I wanted to start this series and reflect on the things in Star Wars that bring me joy or make me think, spark my imagination. Hopefully you'll feel the same way and get something out of it as well. I'll begin by telling you a little bit about my history with Star Wars. I'm an original generation Star Wars fan, which, simply put, means I'm old. Not to put too fine a point on it. I'm old enough to remember seeing the original movies in theaters. I was seven when I saw A New Hope, or as it was called back then, just Star Wars. I can remember a world before Star Wars, but just barely. Before 1977, I was crazy about TV shows such as Land of the Lost, Looney Tunes, Sesame Street, and of course Scooby-Doo. That was back when Saturday morning cartoons were still a thing. You see, if you're not old enough to remember that time, you need to realize that there was just one day a week that kids could see animated series. They were shown on the three major networks, ABC, CBS, and NBC, and only on Saturday. Syndication wasn't a thing yet. That wouldn't happen for another 10 years, and cable TV, at least for my family, was still a few years away. There was no internet, no streaming services, no binge-watching. When I was seven, there was no bigger event than Christmas. But with Saturday cartoons, I could experience little mini Christmases each week. My parents slept in on Saturday morning, so if I woke up around 6.30 or 7, I had the living room TV all to myself. It was my own little private kingdom, those early hours enjoyed in pajamas with a big bowl of Cap'n Crunch cereal. Saturday morning for a child of the 70s was all about escaping the world of classrooms and parents, and it made me love escapist entertainment in a special way that I carry with me all these decades later. My first memory of what we would today call an event movie was the annual broadcast of The Wizard of Oz on CBS. It always started with drum percussions and a graphic that swirled around in a circle until it read, A CBS Special Presentation. It felt as if that announcement was just for me as I took my place in front of the Zenith television and settled in for a night of Kansas and Twister and Yellow Brick Road. Oh, and flying monkeys. In a way, that opening CBS title was a primer, heralding the start of the adventure, not unlike a phrase in blue text familiar to all Star Wars fans, which precedes the Star Wars main title. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. It's our modern day, once upon a time. This annual ritual of sitting down to enjoy The Wizard of Oz was making me a fan of fantasy storytelling. 
It was getting me primed and ready for the greatest space fantasy ever told. The world was on the cusp of discovering Star Wars for the first time, and my very first memory of Star Wars was, well, rather amusing in retrospect. I was in a grocery store with my mom. We were in the checkout line and I noticed a newspaper or maybe it was a magazine cover. The story headline was about the upcoming movie everyone was talking about, Star Wars. As my mom pushed the grocery cart out of the store and towards the car, I reflected on that title, Star Wars. Star Wars. My brow wrinkled. Well, that's a dumb name for a movie, I thought. I had no clue what was coming. I mean, none of us did. I'm unclear about the actual date of my first viewing of Star Wars, but I'm pretty sure I didn't see it on opening weekend. The buzz about the movie hadn't yet reached Birmingham, Alabama on opening weekend. I could be wrong about that, but I do know that eventually the hype found me, and I absolutely had to see it. I demanded to see it. My baby brother was only two years old, so he was too young to take to a theater. Mom stayed home with him while my dad took me to see Star Wars. I may not remember the date, but I definitely remember the cinema. It was showing at a multiplex called Cobb 6 on Green Springs Highway. The location is now a Chinese restaurant. I don't remember if we had to stand in line, but I'm sure we must have. I can faintly recall a line stretching from the box office in the lobby, outside and around the building. By the time I'd convinced my dad to take me, Star Wars had become a blockbuster event. My memories of that first viewing of Star Wars are a jumble of out-of-focus memories, elusive and frustratingly thin like vanishing breath on a cold window. Countless viewings of Star Wars over the years have made the opening scenes iconic and familiar, but I have no memory of what it felt like to sit down in a darkened theater for the first time and see the projector fire up to show the 20th Century Fox fanfare. And that blue title I mentioned earlier, the words that fade out and are followed by silence. But I can imagine what it must have felt like in that moment of silence, until the silence is broken by those thunderous refrains. The opening crawl sets the tone in such a perfect way. It brings us up to speed on the rebels, the princess being pursued by the Empire's sinister agents, good guys versus bad guys, and stolen plans to something called a Death Star. As those gold words ascend the screen into infinity, they shrink and become unreadable until finally vanishing in the great gaping nothingness of space. The camera pans down to reveal the gently curved surface of a planet with two of its three moons visible. What happened next became the stuff of cinematic legend. A tiny ship speeds into frame, pursued by a massive ship, its underside marked with detail and rumbling over the heads of the audience. The Star Destroyer kept passing overhead, growing in size with each second it filled the projection screen. There seemed to be no end to it. 
From the swirl of hazy, cloudy memory, I do recall that moment sitting in the theater. Even if it's less a memory and more a feeling, like something out of a dream. Okay, yes, that's a quote from Luke Skywalker, but there's really no other way to describe how my seven-year-old brain processed that image. Did you hear that? They shut down the main reactor. We'll be destroyed for sure. This is madness. From there, the details of my first viewing are fractured and incomplete. At least until 3PO began wandering through the desert wilderness all alone. He passed in front of something strange. Bones. But bones of what? A dragon? A dinosaur? As a little kid, I was obsessed with dinosaurs, so that skeleton made me sit up and take notice. This was a universe with margins filled in by weird and wonderful details. Densely packing the frame, these details spoke of a galaxy with a history and with stories to tell beyond the frames of the camera. Little, if any of it, was explained to us. We, the audience, were taking it all in for the first time, and we struggled to keep up with its lush visual palette. This universe was bewildering in its scope, but it was also grounded and real. It felt familiar in some places, alien in others. By presenting this to his audience with little or no exposition, George Lucas was requiring that we fill in the blanks with our own imagination. That made Star Wars feel so much larger than life. Lucas gave the audience just enough to follow the main story, but also left a lot unexplained. And it was those questions, like where did the desert bones come from, that tickled my mind with possibility. Lucas understood the value of leaving his audience wanting more. To understand the full picture of how much this movie shook me up as a child, you first need to know that I was raised in a somewhat religious household. My mom, a devout evangelical Christian, would not allow us to watch movies unless they were rated G. So that meant we grew up on a steady diet of Disney films and animated fare. Today, the original Star Wars seems quite tame by modern standards, but to a child of the 70s who had only watched things like The Wizard of Oz, Herbie the Lovebug, or Pete's Dragon, Star Wars was thrilling and subversive, even dark at times. If they trace the robots here, they may have learned who they sold them to, and that would lead them back home. Oh, wait, Luke! It's too dangerous! When Luke realized the stolen droids were being hunted by the Empire, he raced back to warn Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru. Plain-spoken, down-to-earth, if sometimes overly strict, Luke's aunt and uncle were the kind of adults I knew well at age seven. But when Luke approached his home, he was greeted by a scene unlike anything I'd ever witnessed before as a child. Seeing the charred remains of Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru was deeply unsettling to me. This was no Disney movie. This movie had consequences and tragedy and hard left turns that made a sheltered seven-year-old see the world a bit differently. It was a world that felt more dangerous and unpredictable than it felt just an hour or two earlier. 
but as jarring as that scene was, it was clear to me why Luke had to accompany the crazy old hermit named Ben. He had no other choice. He couldn't allow himself to end up like his aunt and uncle. I definitely didn't want to see Luke's journey end like that either. But it was a journey that only seemed to get more dangerous with each new adventure. Moss Eisley Spaceport. You will never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We must be cautious. The cantina scene that follows was a feast for my young eyes. Its smoky recesses teemed with activity and danger. There were chirps and squeals and guttural laughter from an assortment of strange-looking denizens with oddly shaped bodies and limbs. The band was a motley assortment of bulbous-headed musicians, playing instruments with what I assumed were mouths. No more than a few minutes into the scene and Luke was already in trouble again, finding himself in a fight not of his own making. Ben Kenobi sprang into action and ended the conflict as quickly as it had begun. The camera revealed a severed arm and blood spattered out across the grime of the cantina floor. Before leaving the cantina, I witnessed yet another flurry of violence as bounty hunter Greedo confronted smuggler Han Solo in a table-side chat that ended with Greedo hitting the table with a sickening thud. Solo had entered the story, making a strong impression as someone who shot first and asked questions later. That's how the scene played out originally. For better or worse, the scene would become infamous with a special edition edit in which it was made to appear as if Greedo fired first. The shot inexplicably missing Han at point-blank range, and followed by Han's fatal blaster fire. Lucas seemed uncomfortable with the idea that Han Solo would be perceived by children as being a hero for killing Greedo in cold blood. But see, I don't think Lucas was giving kids enough credit. I can attest to that, even as a child who had never seen the inside of a bar, either in real life or on a movie screen. I understood the conflict well enough to understand that Han had acted in self-defense. Greedo was poised to kill Han and claim the bounty on his life. As a seven-year-old, I didn't understand such things, but I understood the basics of danger. But when Lucas altered the scene, he changed the context of the moment. And in my opinion, it's one of the few times Lucas greatly misjudges his audience. To this kid of 1977, it was a pretty open and shut case. The movie that followed was a steady rush of images and feelings, coming at me and washing over me. I recoiled at the sight of Grand Moff Tarkin. He had all the hallmark features of a villain with his cool patronizing tone and his ghoulish demeanor. Charming to the last. But his true ugliness resided in how he treated the captive princess and how he forced her to watch the destruction of her home planet, even after her pleas for mercy. I grow tired of asking this, so it'll be the last time. Where is the rebel base? Dantooine. They're on Dantooine. There. You see, Lord Vader, she can be reasonable. Continue with the operation. You may fire when ready. What? 
You're far too trusty. Dantooine is too remote to make an effective demonstration, but don't worry. We will deal with your rebel friends soon enough. No. Commence primary ignition. It seemed a particularly nasty thing to do. I got a bad feeling about this. The next scene that made an impression was the trash compactor. We've seen it so often, it's easy to forget how unbearably tense it was watching for the first time. The walls slowly closing in on our vulnerable heroes. The suspense was excruciating. One thing's for sure, we're all going to be a lot thinner. Get on top of it! I'm trying! Claustrophobic and a death too horrible to imagine. It looked like the end of Luke, Han, and Leia, until R2-D2 proves himself to be the invaluable droid we would come to know well. It was a good feeling. A moment of release, like seeing Lassie save Timmy from the well. Listen to them. They're dying, R2. Curse my metal body. I wasn't fast enough. It's all my fault. My poor master. We're all right. You did great. Hey, hey, open the pressure main attack on you. Where are we? More details, more impressions float to the surface of my memory. I recall wondering if Darth Vader and the stormtroopers were robots or humans under the masks. There were no clues either way at the time. I felt tense when Ben Kenobi inched his way around the outside of the tractor beam control panel with its endless chasm below. When Ben Kenobi faced off with Darth Vader, I was on the edge of my seat. It felt as if the movie was coming to an end the good guys had rescued the princess, got rescued by the princess, and had escaped the jaws of death. Getting past Vader was the final hurdle, and the wise old Ben was stepping up to take care of that part. But then something unexpected. No! My mind filled in the parts my eyes didn't see. Ben Kenobi had allowed himself to be cut in half, or at least that's what I saw, the memory of that sliced off arm in the cantina still fresh in my mind. Run, Luke, run! Ben's disembodied voice changed the context of the moment. Had he performed a magic trick with the Force, had he vanished or reappeared elsewhere? Maybe he'd gone to space heaven. I was too young and too caught up in the moment to ponder it for long. Decades later, the only thing I'm certain of are the feelings. I felt sad for Luke. He'd lost his family. He'd lost his teacher. Would he lose everything else? That's the last specific recollection I have about the movie's plot. But there's one more memory I can share. 
a distant feeling of tension associated with the image of Darth Vader spinning out of control. What? And avoiding annihilation as the Death Star meets its fiery end. That's about it. That's all I can really remember. It's possible the movie overloaded my senses, the visual and auditory stimuli keeping me stunned throughout much of the film. Even though the details of my memory are incomplete, I know I was head over heels about the movie because as soon as we got home, I couldn't stop talking about it. I excitedly shared the entire story with my mom. A few years later, she claimed she had listened to my explanation of the movie's plot and had come to the conclusion that Luke's father had not been killed by Darth Vader, but was Darth Vader all along. I think my mom's confusing hindsight with being two or three steps ahead of the rest of the world, but you never know. She may have been the first person to figure it all out a long time ago. The story of my first viewing of Star Wars is missing important highlights such as the first appearance of Vader, the rebel fleet attacking the Death Star, the trench run, or most of Princess Leia's moments. Will somebody get this big walking carpet out of my way? Yeah, that did make me laugh. I've also omitted the part about what my dad thought of the movie. The reason is simple. I just don't remember. 1977 was a long time ago. The first memories get mixed in with feelings and memories from later viewings in life. In a way, it's like baking a cake and trying to go back and retrieve one single ingredient. It's just not possible. In the years that followed my first viewing of Star Wars, I spent a lot of time dreaming about that galaxy far, far away. I spent hours studying the toys in the JCPenney catalog, careful to pick which ones were vital for my next Christmas list. I definitely spent a lot of time talking about Star Wars with my friends at school. From time to time, the original movie would be re-released back into theaters. Before the age of home video, that was really the only way we could see a movie again. By the time the sequel was released, The Empire Strikes Back, I was fully immersed in my love for Star Wars. Empire occupies a much more distinct and detailed place in my memory. And yes, I most definitely recall how my dad felt about that movie. I'll share more about that visit to the theater and how The Empire Strikes Back made its impression on me in the next episode of Forever Star Wars, so please check it out. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to tell my tale and being part of the Clashing Sabers community. If you're a first-time listener to Clashing Sabers, I encourage you to check out the website at www.clashingsabers.net. The site is updated with new articles frequently so we'd love for you to check them out and let us know what you think. If you have any questions or comments, send your thoughts by email to clashingsabersnetwork at gmail.com. 
And if you haven't already, please hit that subscribe button so you can keep up to date with all the other great shows in the Clashing Sabres network. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at DJMMarquee. Until we meet again for Episode 2, take care and stay safe. The views and commentary of Forever Star Wars do not reflect those of Lucasfilm or Disney. All licensed sound and music are property of their respective copyright holders. Clashing Sabres and Forever Star Wars are not affiliated with Lucasfilm, Disney, or any of their subsidiaries. The commentary and production of this series is the property of Clashing Sabres and Forever Star Wars and may only be used with permission. Until next time, may the Force be with you. And always remember, Your focus determines your reality.